Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites. Welcome to episode 128. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. We are coming to you today from Studio R. Studio in the R. Robert upped his game here in the atrium. I had to. You boys had set a precedent. I had to up the game so, a little bit. Gone are the card tables. We're now kicking it in very comfortable chairs. Indeed. I You're, even have a pillow at my back and everything. You guys don't realize this. Your chairs recline. Oh, dude. They I do. No idea. Idea. They that. So This is totally awesome. Yeah. I'm loving this. But kicking back and, you know, enjoying the bourbon while we wax eloquent on whatever it is we're, what we're talking about this time, which is... Nuremberg. So we're, we're wrapping up our World War II... Extravaganza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we've done eight. This will be episode eight of the history episodes wrapped around well, World we have, War II. We, we have Pearl Harbor next month. Right. So we'll have one more. Yeah. I've forgotten that. Thank you, uh, yeah. Francis. Yeah. Because um, in for, to, for in December, we have to do that. That's yeah. yeah we have to end on that. In, 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 the episode is on. Like, it may not be the seventh, but it's pretty darn close. That's right. <laughs> so but we did battles, and we, now we're doing the, the themes, the big themes. Um, and you have to finish with Nuremberg. Yeah. And Nuremberg is the trials, the what's called the International Military Tribunal, where the Nazi leadership was brought to account for their actions. Right, for something totally new, never right. heard of never, before. Yeah, the, the entire concept is against humanity. That's right. Yeah, none War of this has ever been attempted. No. Um, so the basis, and, and what I like about this topic is it... it Gives me a chance to bring in something um, that I'm hoping we get to explore later in, a, in another episode in more depth. But the Kellogg Briand Pact in the interwar years. This is a. Uh, Kellogg was the U.S. Secretary of State, Briand was the French Foreign Minister, and it's this pact that attempted to. Make war illegal. Yep. Uh, it's it's this progressive era, pie in the sky. Hey, guess what we're going to do? We're going to make aggressive war illegal. And, of course, now we look back at that and it's like, oh, well, that's, that's very Don Quixote, tilting at windmills kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was the basis yep. for this prosecution. That's right. It, it becomes, okay, well, we now we have this international law, this international treaty that people signed on to that was aggressive broken. war is illegal. Right. Internationally. It's not just one nation's law. It's now international law. And that becomes then the basis for this idea of holding the Nazis to account for these actions. And you know, maybe it's the international law, this, this Kellogg-Briand treaty that, that makes it workable. But there was a limited attempt at war crimes trials after World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was seen as very ineffectual, as very limited basis. Actually, it was done in Germany too. Uh, so, uh, which I don't really have a whole lot of background on that myself. So I don't really know what they were trying. But it wasn't major. It wasn't. A, 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 it didn't have the far-reaching effect, obviously, that the trials right. in Nuremberg did. Because you know, other than the uh, uh, the Armenian massacres. Uh, World War One didn't have this scale of uh, pure evil perpetrated right. on populations. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm often, and this is just kind of me postulating a question that I don't actually have the answer to, but I'm wondering if that's the whole Holocaust issue, which was not known even when uh, Europe was invaded. It wasn't really known by well, the Allies. The- they, I think they suspected. They, they, they did, but they had an idea. But was until going it's on. proven, until the, the, until until the camps are liberated, until camps are liberated, thank you. That's they obviously didn't have any proof. That's right. correct. The hard and proof. I'm wondering if because of all that, they realized if that was the impetus that says we have to do this now. That's kind of the tipping point yeah. when we realize they can't get away with this because this, this is more than just war, more than just aggressive war. This is right. A crime against humanity. Yes. And it's the first time that international leaders begin thinking in this manner. Mm -hmm. Because these trials even predate the formation of the UN. 
Right. It becomes part of the foundation of what the UN's about is this idea of we're not allowing this anymore. We're going to stop this and punish people who undertake these type of crimes. And the, and the issue of sovereignty is set to the back of the bus in this process. And that's, that's something that even people today have huge issues with. But ultimately, Nuremberg proves, in certain circumstances, it is absolutely the right thing to do. Yes, it establishes a precedent that there is such a thing as international jurisdiction That's right. for these types of crimes. That the nations of the world with consensual governments are different from other types of nations and can hold those nations to account and that's the thing. Somebody, and this is the problem with international law. International law is only enforceable to the degree that the countries are willing to sign on to this. Right. In a way, it's an international version of the social contract because yes. every society only exists as long as everybody agrees that it does. Right. As soon as something breaks down, as we almost saw during the, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody ran out and bought up all the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as soon as something breaks down and nobody can agree that this is our common standard anymore, society doesn't exist. This is the first attempt at doing that on a, on a truly macro scale. And it still doesn't work perfectly. Right. But we also haven't had that kind of atrocity. Uh, right. Yeah, this is not again. something that, sh- that can or perhaps should become the norm but under certain circumstances, well, it does and war falls into that because right. by definition, that is a conflict at this right. point. But it provides the jurisdiction for later trials of this manner, like Yugoslavia, right? Um, you know, the, Ceausescu and all that. That yeah. is Serbia, the uh, Slobodan Milosevic, that whole thing of Serbia waging aggressive war against its neighbors to try to reform, quote Yugoslavia. Uh, and, and having an ethnic basis where the term ethnic cleansing comes from right. is, is comes out of that conflict. So these, this, as Robert says, this really changed the entirety of how international law worked after this point. Right. And, you know, I said these kinds of atrocities hadn't been committed. That's not entirely true. It's the atrocities against different countries is where we think of this because you know we think well Americans are going to do this to Americans but Chinese did this to Chinese so these kinds of atrocities still happen and you know certainly the Soviet Union still had their own atrocities internally but that's all internal and that's something that you know still the world is very hesitant to interfere in now granted especially those two countries are very hesitant because that's a very dangerous thing. They're very to powerful. That's exactly. right. Exactly. But it's a lot easier to interfere with Serbia than it is the Soviet Union. And although there are those who try that call out human rights violations, we hear that well, a lot. That's different. That's, it is. It's, Calling out human rights violations is different than going in and rounding somebody up and putting them on trial. Right. Because there, there's, it's in, there's an implicit. <coughs> we may have to resort to force to do this. Exactly. Now, for Nuremberg, of course, the force had already. Happened. Yeah, right. The war is won, and then because well, what do we do? Okay, well, we're going to have to put these guys on trial. Um, so I wanted to. Part of that is, you know, I think holding the leaders of your your enemies accountable isn't actually new, because conquered nations often leaders were were killed outright in history. Yeah, that's what Hitler was fearing. Right. They knew the Soviets were going to get there first. Right, and yeah, absolutely, the Soviets would have shot him. Absolutely, he, he you know, they, they there all would no been, trial. Yeah, no trial. Uh, but you know, when you think about historical conflicts, you know, king against king, one king loses, he most likely loses his head as well as the war. So the concept of your leaders dying if they lose the war is not entirely unheard of. But having now, a legal basis by well, which to do that. An actual jurisdiction. It's the trial. The trial is that. It's a public trial. It's bringing this to the light of day, letting everybody know why you're doing this. Yeah. That it's it's not just vengeance. It's justice. 
and that is what I think makes this different because it, you know maybe it's also us looking back at it with you know 2020 vision uh, that of course they would be held accountable but you know this is also entirely brand new you know nobody right. had to deal with the sort yeah, of thing the, the concept of because again this is industrial as we talked about before this is industrialized extermination of an entire people or the attempt at it and that's totally <coughs> new. so but doing this in public I think is really yes. the important thing yes you know it's very not in point. secret very it's, good point Robert it, that that is what changes it because one it requires documentation it requires cooperation and in a way it's a very American thing we have because uh, I think Americans drive this uh, to a large degree in that you know yes there's going to be a judge there's going to be a trial there's going to be a prosecutor there's going to be a defense you know, it, it's it's going to be something that has to be done in a certain way. Because probably if you ask most French or English leaders or anybody that was invaded and conquered by the, the, the Nazis, they would have been just as happy to line them up against a wall and shoot them and bury, bury them all in unmarked graves. Yeah. But that's not the way we went. And we could afford to do that because we were not invaded. We were not brutalized the way the rest of Europe was. And... I think that makes a difference, too. Uh, I think it's a perfect storm of players and circumstances that let this happen. Very good point, Robert. Very good point. So I wanted to draw out a little bit more on something that Francis brought up, is the idea of jurisdiction. Yeah. Yes. Because there really is a lot of doubt about, well, I mean, that's a great idea, guys, but can you really do that? What gives you the authority to do that? And, of course, part of that is, well, because we won. Right. Well, because <laughs> we have the guns. We have yeah, the guns but we but we all agreed and to, that this was the way it was going to be. Yeah, uh, is there any real teeth to that? No. Uh, does... Treaties are signed to be broken. Yeah, I mean, essentially, yeah. every treaty that's ever been signed, the 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 major player holds the minor player accountable until it is no longer in the major player's interest. Yeah, that's a given. That's a nobody given. likes to talk about it, right. but that's a given. Yeah. So I don't think you can hold the treaty up as this. I think this really does go to a moral issue. Well, that, that's what allowed the treaty to be to be. I mean, to no, I mean, the, the trials. The tri- right. Again, I think the treaty itself, the, talking about the Kellogg-Briand Treaty, that's I a, think that's... That's a sham? It's not a sham, but I think when they signed it, they almost had to think it was unworkable. Because and yet they used that as the... It's a, it's, okay. it's a nice Tiger. legal fiction, maybe, but yeah, honestly, but I don't think the that's words, the... Legal fiction. Yeah. Well, but it's 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 a it's the beginning it's, it's a, a beginning of recognizing this can't go on anymore. Right. Europe has been ravaged over and over yeah. again and again, year after year, and it's got to stop. Yeah, because you've had essentially three times. If you count Napoleon, then you count World War One, and then now you count World War Two. It's are, beyond three times. Well, I mean that. Yeah, those are just the big ones. You know, there are you thirty know, years war, hundred years war. That's right. I mean, go back. I mean, frankly, I mean, yeah, exactly. The, the Kellogg Brown Pact, though, is a product of its time. Yeah, of this progressive era idealism of the war to end all wars. The war to end all wars. We can't do this again. So we're going to have to make some kind of rules about we can't do this anymore. And so again, it, it does become in later years, in light of World War II, sort of this idea they were tilting at windmills. Is fantasy to do this. The problem but, is the mechanism yes. isn't there. Right. So that's, that again, yeah, we won. So, of course, we have the authority to do this. So that's what the Nuremberg really does establish is, yes, we can hold people accountable, and we're going to do it, and this now serves as the precedent because we're doing it. I mean, it's kind of a circular thing. Yeah. Uh, we're doing it because we're doing it, and now we get to do it in the future because we did it this time. Well, I think it's a recognition of something that we have often talked about. There is a universal right and wrong. There are lines you do not cross. Ding, ding, ding. You're exactly right. And realistically, anybody and everybody has both the right and the responsibility to prosecute war crimes. Yeah. Theoretically. Couldn't happen. Yeah. Right. But Luxembourg could hold the United States accountable for war crimes if it could impose its will upon us <laughs> and find a war crime to... And I'm not saying there isn't, that we've never done yeah. anything that isn't yeah. 
And it, and again, it is it does serve as a distinction between the human rights violations that are internal, Cambodia to cultural revolution, to, uh, yeah, culture, yeah, the gulags. That this is meant as something of our own human rights violations. Yes, I mean, I mean everywhere, everywhere. Right. Um, it is a distinction of an aggressive war where you committed these atrocities to another country, not internal. And yet war itself is not considered that. Well, that's what that's what the treaty wanted to do. That's right. War itself, war no, in that way. Right. But that's, of course, nobody's going to agree to that. Everybody wants to, you know, I reserve the right. Every nation says, I reserve the right to go to war. Right. Well, that was couched as to defend myself. That's yeah. correct. But ultimately... But if you're defending yourself, somebody had to attack you. Preemptive defense is not... That's still an aggressive war. That's still an aggressive war. Yeah. Right. Which was, you know Which everybody still reserves the right to. Sure, absolutely. And that's that's one of the it's one of the issues that, that we came up with. It had to be more than just going to war. Now, in today in this enlightened world we live in, I say that tongue in cheek, uh, we might even make that comp you know, claim that war itself, and morally I think we have to be able to make this claim, war itself is by definition always an evil thing. Is it necessary in a defensive situation? Perhaps. Although... Launching war is always evil. Right. Fighting war is not. Because, again, if you're the one who's attacked, you know, now, the ultimate pacifist might say, you just have to take it. Right. And the, the concept of the just war theories, is this that was in the future from this. They were much, much later. I, well, no, I think... The, the from genesis, a Catholic perspective, I think this the is The genesis is there. No, I think that phrase exists from uh, Catholic moral theology far before this. So I think just war is not an unheard of concept. Right, yeah, it certainly had been talked about. Uh, but the fact that there could be such a thing as an unjust war. Yes, that recognizes that there is an unjust war. Right, exactly. And whereas, and of course I'm going back a little bit here, whereas the world of pre-1914 would have absolutely rejected that. They would have thought that war isn't, you know, the gentleman's game. It's what you do. You train for this. We long for that. We want Well, that. it's a means of glory. Exactly. You know, that's what we took, we've war talked about. War is glorious. Before. There's World War One, And some of that's von Clausewitz, too. But... Uh, oh, it's honor. It's glory. It's, right. it's, it's Napoleon. It's... it's yeah. It's, it's, well, then you can choose to decide. Uh, World War One changed that. And that's why you have things like the Calabrian Pact, where we realize this really is hell, as Sherman said. We can't have this happen again. It was Europe's first experience with the kind of war that Sherman waged, right. even though that the was 60 true, years earlier. The true horror of war for yeah. civilian populations are affected. Right, because and, you know, even the Franco-Prussian War would not have been all-out war Germany against France. Yeah. Not and, in but it's, it's armies versus it armies. Was still, and, it was yes. like, and it was over like that, so it was, oh, wasn't that wonderful? Our shit, then we got the crap knocked out of us, and that's it. And that's the other thing, you know, if the war is quick... The population generally isn't as affected, right? Well, except maybe in the occupation, the war itself. Well, you know, Clemenceau was famous for uh, stating when he saw the Germans marching down the Champs Elysees, when he was a young man, he said Germany must pay for that humiliation, and that's one of the reasons that the, you know, the Treaty of Paris was so onerous, is because he's pushing even then for revenge, which of course led to the debacle that brought the Kellogg-Briand Pact out. Ironically, which enabled the judgment at Nuremberg to finally, finally put an end to the right. concept of a world war. Yeah. In, now, in, I want to also... reality. I want to... Shift it in the Cold War, but that's, that's another yeah, topic for another day. I want to say, you know, they weren't... When they conceived of Nuremberg, they're not directly referencing that treaty. It's... It's philosophical. It, yes, it, it's, it's an outgrowth. Yes, it's an outgrowth. There's a very good word. That's was. Right. Yeah. It's what it ended up being, but they're not specifically saying because of this treaty, we feel we can hold you accountable. Right. Because I mean, this is basically though, it's Stalin, Churchill, and and Roosevelt getting together and saying we're going to hold them accountable. True. And well, Roosevelt, because it goes back all the way into '43. Yeah. Really. At the initial conferences, that they're all oh you mean involved. yeah you're talking about Yalta and all that Yalta stuff, and, and everything so they're they're already seeing the future you know we will win right. this yeah. but here's what you know how yeah. do you win the when piece. we win what do we do and of course Stalin's like well let's just shoot everybody and and Roosevelt and Churchill bristle at that 
And eh, you got to make it legal first, boys. Yeah. How do we? We need to do something. You know, we can't just start executing fifty thousand Germans. We, we've got. And the Russians are thinking, why stop at fifty thousand? Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Well, that's uh, that was Stalin's plan was just to take the general staff and shoot all of them. Uh, the entire, basically the entire officer class of the Wehrmacht. And, and it Roosevelt, would, it Roosevelt would have jokes, been effective. Uh, Roosevelt jokes back to him, well, maybe just 49,000 will do instead of 50. But then, they, you know, Churchill starts to push back a little bit and say, no, we can't just shoot every officer. We're going to have to try to figure out who was really responsible for what has happened. But, you know, even though we, we haven't, Got to the point where we shoot every officer, as is evidenced by this tracking down of this this uh, I think it ended up being a woman, not uh, this this ninety hundred year old woman that that was in the camps. Yeah, right. Putting her on trial. So this this had fruit. Yeah. That, yeah. That, so that's, that's changed. We are holding every not just those who are at the top. You know, we are. I mean, because she was a she had a civil position. Right. But if it was involved, but if it involved the final solution, even in a small way, in a small way, yeah. Now, I mean, I don't know what her their role actually was, because like, I, I just, I'm still astounded that they're doing this. But you know, the Mossad is very, very adamant. Well, and, that, and there Every you go. Every last one of those. I was going to say is, that's is, where a lot of that is, yeah. is being pushed from for for all the right reasons. Right. I'm know. not saying that just because you've reached a certain age, you can no longer be held accountable. Or even the fact that the Mossad will not forgive or forget. Right. And they're, and they're not saying that they should. Not should, at all. That's right. Should do that. uh, they're at, certain, very, at a certain point, there's not going to be anybody left. Right. They are very efficient as the whole Eichmann uh, trial shows just oh, very yeah. clearly. I mean, and, and to be honest, if you wanted one man to lay this on, other than Heydrich, who was dead by this time, mm-hmm. Eichmann has to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, well, it was what, into the 80s that they were searching for Mengele? Yeah, and they, yeah, yeah, he yeah. he escaped. You know, he yeah. he died. You know, you know, drowned in in, in yeah, South America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, we do get to the point where we will hold everyone accountable. We're not just, we're just not going to shoot them all. Although I think if the Mossad had their way, they would they would yeah. agree with the Russians. Yeah, I mean, well, Stalin's Stalin's thing was summary executions. Yes, right. Whereas you know, Goering was scheduled to be hanged. You know, and Ribbentrop was. You yeah. know, there were, that was you know this was not an because you know, they're given the traditional traitor's death, that ignominious hanging. It's not going to be, we're not going to dignify the firing squad with you. We're going to show you for this will not be tolerated. That's one of the reasons that... Which I never really understood myself because, you know, dead is dead. Yeah, but yeah, it, I don't it, really under, it's personally, the show. I'm just saying. It's, it's the image. That's what yeah, they're going with firing for. firing squad versus hanging, I'm still dead. Well, I don't really care which one you do, other than I'd rather be over quick. Well, that's yeah. part of it is, well, you know, as we talked about in Operation Valkyrie, uh, that's one of the reasons that Schaffenberg was, was shot is because he was given that. That's, that's a mercy. Uh, I mean, it goes back you know, Tudor times. Uh, in fact, uh, the traitor's death that Thomas More was scheduled to be executed with was disembowelment and uh, dismemberment uh, and burning, and that was committed to simple beheading. Yeah. So there, there are there. There is a long tradition of in the in the history of executions. It is the show well, yeah. that is often yeah. The that, that's a, that's different than you know because again, hanging, shooting, those are relatively quick. The disemboweling, the yeah. quartering, all that. That's a bit. That's that torture was, before death. Oh, you betcha. Public and public. Was, yes. That's yeah. uh, no Gibson. We remember. Yes. Uh, as Martin said, uh, you know, he made, you made a really good point. Uh, this really did start, uh, this drive for this, uh, to hold them accountable, really did start in 43. Uh, because they had the, they actually published a declaration called the Declaration on German Atrocities in Occupied Europe. They knew stuff was going on. They knew it enough to actually publish a declaration. Yeah. Now, maybe, now, obviously, not everybody, certainly the people in, in, in the street, you know, back home, they didn't know what was going on, and the full and, scope. Yeah, and the full scope. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Scope. And you know, but there's always know. going to be disinterested. Well, that didn't really happen. Oh yes, that it still happens out there. Which still amazingly yeah. amazes me. That, let me let's take a bourbon break, and I'm going to hit two things based on off of that. So, uh, as we record here in the atrium, and again, we're kicked back. I got 
you know, the old legs crossed, leaning back in this chair. I'm, I'm, I'm. They're quite comfortable, aren't they? I'm super chill, and uh, totally loving it. Uh, I've got a glass of Robert's Knob Creek, one of my longtime favorites. Um, super smooth, hint of maple syrup. Uh, Not as much as the because ma- we actually have right. a maple bourbon, but right? That's and that correct. Was, that was a little too heavy for me. Yeah. <coughs> just well, I love that, but I'm, I'm not doing that. Would have been good time. with breakfast. I'm telling you. With the, with, with, oh, we, yes. went to, we went to we bellied up today. Yes, yes. Thank you again to Biscuit Belly. Uh, I I, uh, I thought I was going to have to take Francis to the emergency room because he didn't finish his, which is very unusual. Uh, so yeah. we were very we're concerned. a little more worried there for we're a moment. Like, Are you sure you're all right, brother? Yeah, we, we're fine. We're doing. Yeah, he didn't even he didn't even get a chance to ask for more gravy. That's yeah. what they were egging me on to try and do it. I says, you know, I'm I'm done. I'll take what's left over, and it's you know, well, I'll have it later. But I, I just any, don't associate leftovers with Francis. Well, there's you know, I'm trying. Other than giving him all of ours, <laughs> I am trying my best and, to be better at that. Well, you know, we good jest, food, but good food is one of the great pleasures of being human. Yes, yeah. There's nothing yes. wrong with a healthy appetite, and you know, we all have healthy appetites. Yeah, that's right. We just know you go last. Yes, all right. That's that is <laughs> that has right. long yes. been the joke of, for thirty years now. That okay, if it's buffet, Francis has to go last. <laughs> yes, my reputation precedeth me. Yes, and all uh, right. I also want to congratulate uh, Robert. He is six weeks. Yes, without give or take a little. Without a soft drink. That's even better than I've been doing. Oh, I... Yes, when I stopped, I stopped cold turkey. Yeah. Well, sort of. I stopped soft drinks cold turkey. Yes. I replaced the caffeine with a morning coffee. Because I've had caffeine headaches. I've given up soft drinks (coughs) for lunch. Yeah. They are excruciating. Yeah. And Mrs. Mrs. Robert, she often tries to give up soft drinks because she guzzles it like, you know, it was a $2 bottle of vodka and she were Russian. And or two ruble bottle of vodka. That's, that's, that's right. Let's get this right. That's right. Uh, but at times she doesn't always do that. Uh, but she has the horrible headaches as well. But yeah. I was uh, I planned this and replaced it with morning coffee. That's the only caffeine I had. And you're adding a little sweetener to the coffee. I do because so coffee by itself completely off of sweet drinks. Right, but it's also not uh, non sugar based. It's non sugar based. Yeah. So it's there's still no corn syrup. I mean, I had diet drinks anyway, so I didn't have that. So. Uh, it, it's a still not a fully natural sweetener, but it's also not the crap that goes into a regular diet yeah. soft drink. Yeah, or so, non-diet soft drink like I still am uh, Coca Cola right. on. Yeah. Oh shoot! I meant to have us stop on the way back from the belly to get you a, a two liter of Coke. I'm I'm suffering through. I'm okay. I am, That's I'm right. really sorry about That's that. That's quite all right because I, I have to go last night because I, I have not given it up, folks. I, I should, but I'm still. I'm, I'll have almost one a day, sometimes two, occasionally three. Uh, Ooh, God, I used to be. Able, I used to do that easily. Yeah, absolutely. I it's just. It's. A, uh, I wish I. I like it too much. It's too damn nice. Well, yeah, you know, it's it, like Sean Connery. Retirement's too much damn fun. You know, you get used to it. And I think is the thing. And so I it's like the only right. thing that I missed when I've tried it before was the the carbonation. Yeah. So absolutely. I drink these sparkling ice lemonade things, but I don't even drink one of those every day. I've gotten to the point where that's not even necessary. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so, I'm, I'm pretty much off of carbonation, but I do I like my unsweet tea. I love my unsweet tea. I will, I will have too many of those. See, I, I, but I, I'm trying see, to get living south of the Mason Dixon uh, south of the Ohio. I think it's illegal to have unsweetened tea. The word it? abomination has been used yes. in association <laughs> with that. It's, it's what you got to do because subbing yes. sweet tea for a soft drink, you're not getting anywhere. Well, that's right. Well, yeah, because if you use sugar, yeah, yeah. And most people who like sweet tea will tell you the, that you can't use. Although my wife says Splenda. Uh, yeah, I've had it. Just, it's just okay, but, I would but it's, it is not as good as. I would other. I would venture that if you put a, a a glass of sweet tea made with Splenda before you, yeah. and didn't tell you it was made with Splenda, you wouldn't know the difference. It's because you know the difference. Yeah, that it matters. That's probably yeah. and perhaps I, I would bet that like commercially produced sweet tea is still. The corn syrup. Oh, I yes. would bet. Yeah, yeah. rather than regular sugar, yeah. you'd have to look for something that was sugar. Yes. So uh, the reason we bring this up, which thank you, Rena, I, I appreciate the the accolades. That, that, that that's very kind of you, uh, because I thought it was going to be harder than it is, uh, but I really don't miss it. Yeah, and I'm very impressed with myself at how easily it, it was done. And I know that the coffee had, had a lot to do with it, but 
also just that you know, a lot of that that addiction because really it's what it is it's a form of addiction when you drink that much every single day uh, is mental yeah and the psychological need for it and I uh, that was not an issue for me thank God but the reason I embarked upon this as we've talked about over the last many episodes several episodes yeah last 20 or so episodes yes as we've developed into this uh, is the tasting yeah that Martin has has pulled out of his his posterior yeah, be careful uh, with the graphicness of that, the, of that phrase, the, sir. The yes. hinting of this flavor and that uh, ha, has really uh, been impressed upon me. So um, well, I still don't know that I'm tasting things any better yet, but I also have not gone off of sweetener entirely, so I don't know if that's affecting it or not. No, it, um, it'll get there. It'll so, get there. right, I mean, you had said it was mainly the corn syrup. The, 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 that's my opinion. My feeling is... It's so super sweet, right? That those things, that, the soft drinks in particular, ruin your palate. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying really hard to get to either unsweet tea, and then try like water at dinner. I always drink water. You're at so Robert Picard. Spoiled your palate, Jean Luc. Well, that's synthahol you drink. Yes. Same. Yes. Same concept. So that's why I'm feeling like I can start to. Because if you're gonna drink good bourbon, might as well taste it. You gotta you gotta be able to understand the flavors you're experiencing. Which swings us back around to where we are. Yes, which break. is what I wanted to bring up. So Francis, what did you pour? Seventeen ninety two. I had good forgot. Year. I had, yes, very good year. I had forgotten that Robertius had that here, and uh, we haven't had it in a while. I haven't. I haven't touched it in some time, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, that deserves a little attention. Didn't we have that at Studio F? I did. Ago. I the the great folks at Blackout Bourbon uh, had uh, provided me with a bottle of that, and we snarfed that down just like in yeah, one, I thought we one that session. Been a relatively recent thing, yes. Yeah, that, they're grateful. We, we give a good shout out to our friends at Blackout. They do a great it's job. Seventeen ninety two. That you know, that's an old favorite of ours. That was one of the yes. early bourbons we. we uh, well, I think at one of my sister's weddings, we ended up with leftovers from that, and we drank on that for some time after that. It was yeah. pretty very nice. Yes, but that seventeen it's it's, it's good quality bourbon. Good Indeed, quality. it is. It's uh it's quality and uh it's mid range. It's a, it's a little not ex- not exceptionally pricey, but a teensy bit. Uh it, it's not your old granddad, which we still like, the ten dollar bottle. You know, this is this is about the same as a Basil Hayden, that type of right. Bear. But you know, Basil Hayden is one that I think easily could be priced uh, you know, twenty or thirty dollars higher. And yet, for for whatever reason, it hasn't been. I guess it's. I guess there's a popularity to it. Of course, we're, we don't. We don't. Have, it usually runs what about thirty five. About thirty thirty five. Uh, thirty five. We don't have a mind into the marketing genius behind a lot of these bourbons. But I'm thinking Basil Hayden started out as almost like a niche. It was a. It was almost like a, a specialty. Well, and those but tend to be higher price. That's right. But for whatever reason, that hasn't changed. Well, no, it has maintained that price point precisely for, for the last thirty, 30 years. Because I think right. when we first started having it. It was a thirty dollar bottle. It was, and, the, and, and that, that was, was a high price. That was high price at the time, and you couldn't get it everywhere. It was uh, right. only, and all of a sudden, it's become much more mainstream. I think that's the genius of the marketing at at the, at the at the Beam Company. That yeah, this has got legs, folks. This is one of our best that we have. Yeah. Knob Creek, on the other hand, which is also them and was of that same stripe at the beginning, has has, has seen its price point go up. Just a taste, but you can not still, a huge amount because it's extremely popular. Get about twenty-eight. Okay, well then, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, now this is the nine year, so this is uh, you know a little bit higher end. Yeah. Of the the Knob Creek as well, and which I have as well. Okay. So uh, now I I have mine over ice, uh, yeah. as I usually do. I did some ice. Um, Neat for me. Uh, of course. Well, you know, as we said, we really need to swap that up every now and then because we have discovered ice makes a difference in the taste. It does. Uh, it which. Does. We never really come across until we had tried that Jim Beam Black. So and then we, and then all yes. of a sudden, as as one of the fruits of our bourbon break, whoa! This is not you know this is not the way we expected. Yeah. So the the Knob Creek is really. Uh, uh, I I think the 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 ice that the the chill, and the melting water, really does. Or the melting ice that adds the, that little the, water. The water does change the complexity. It does. That. So the sip that I just had, you know, uh, you know, maybe I do sense a little bit more uh, a flavor. You know, just det- maybe it's just also me reading into it, but uh, you know, it, it's a very rich taste, mm-hmm. especially with that that chill and that that 
water to uh, to just kind of explode out the the flavors. You know, you, you, it's very much on the tongue. Yeah. Uh, which again is very interesting. That's not one place that we've talked about a whole lot, but this is is an on the tongue taste. Yeah, on the tongue, and then the warmth is down through here. Yes, so, uh, through the chest and the esophagus. That's right. We have to say it. Remember, we're on audio. Yes, we're on audio. <laughs> uh, which so it, it's not hugely complex, but it's a good blend. Yeah, it's it, a very good blend. It's, it's a it's very subtle. good, mellow, subtle. A touch of maple, a touch of woodsy. Um, See, only Martin can do that. I can't do that. I can't pull those things out like he can. Well, well what do you taste? Though? Yeah, deliciousness. See, I, I've got. I can only get to the meta. I, it, there's a burn. There's a. There's a. Well, that's the effect, though. That's, that's the, not the flavor. See, and I'm. I'm. I'm going. I'm going to end up convicting myself here because I. I can't come up with those type of maybe, and it may be just me. But well, the theory is, is here is it is sa- the sweet? it's not sour obviously but is it uh, you know is it smoky is it smoky yeah that's correct that's right it's just you know, that's to what good. degree I mean you know see I don't taste a whole lot of the smoky I get a little bit of the get, sweetness I, there's not a ton of char here yeah not a ton of that. char I can't do uh, that. It, it, you know it's which enough is, to darken it obviously you know for a nine year old that's been in a barrel nine years you know nine years you should get more char so it's real that's a real compliment to. The blend here, yes. That the the char note is brought down some, and some of the other things are brought up. Yeah, you know, the, and of course the char depends entirely on how much of the inside of the, the barrel of bourbon, the barrel that the bourbon is put into, has been burned. Because I mean, that's literally what they do. They burn the inside of the barrel. If it's a very thin layer, you're going to get far less char. Especially if it's a longer age, so you know you have to balance the the char of the barrel with yeah. how long you're going to age it. So, like if you have a uh, uh, like we've got the bottled and bond Heaven Hill, uh, which we discovered is not a bad bourbon for, for such an yeah, inexpensive bottle. Uh, so I would I would say you could even do that as a either mixing or not. But when I bought that, I was talking to the guy that owned the liquor store, which is sadly, actually I think they, I think they have gone out of business now. Uh, unfortunately, the liquor store inside of Kroger's drove, drove them out of business because oh, yeah. uh, they were locally owned. And I was talking to him about it, and he was telling me about the, the thickness of the char. You know, a, a bourbon like that that's only been aged two to four years, they're not going to char that, that that barrel very much. Uh, but you may char it more for the longer aged. So, you know, I, again, it's just fascinating to me. Yes, there are a lot the of things. Different that things that go into bourbon. Play into these flavors, so... And I'll just mention my, uh, my friend McHale at work. Um, we, or he is a huge bourbon fan. A couple of my friends at work are huge bourbon really? fans. Um, you know, and I've got four bottles, and, and Robert's got seven or eight bottles here. He has 60 unique bottles. Wow. So you're talking about somebody that really is bourbon, and he's making recommendations to me, and we're going to try some of those recommendations when we're at uh, Studio M. So I'm... I, I, these are all kind of retreads, stuff that we've done before. Well, but when you find something that works, you do tend to stick with it. Well, as we yeah. talked about, you know, it takes need, a while to go through these. Yeah, we need because to Because we don't drink and, it most of the time. Yeah. I don't. You guys don't either, um, except yes. when we're together. That's I, much, yeah. ha- I occasionally I did, have a drink uh, with my daughter. Yeah, I did finish right. my bottle of Old Tub on my own. Oh, wow. I, did, I did have one more snort of Old Tub, and I finished that off. But uh, now, like I said, I've got two new ones that we've never tried on air and that'll be next time. And one I'm of them's very high end. That. One of them's high end. I splurged, and we're looking forward. I to spent it. even more than on Woodford. Wow! So uh, we're gonna have. I think Woodford is about the highest price one we have uh, uh, have done before. Woodford, it? if you catch it, can be under thirty. No, I'm talking about the double oaked. The double oaked. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's 40. a retail price is sixty, but generally I, I catch it between forty and and fifty five at the most. Yeah. Yes, so one I've paid forty two for one we're going to try next time, and that's a that's a really good price for it. Usually it's more like forty eight. Okay. So that would be that would be way up beyond Martin's usual price point. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Martin's so tight he squeaks when he walks. That's right. Yes. Yes. I say that in honor of the shirt that he wears today. Yes. That's right. Yes, we're, we're we we all aspire to be. Well, that's nice. how copper wire was invented. Martin pulling on pennies. <laughs> Very good, sir. Very good. I like that. Yeah. So, so yes, I've got something to aspire to with my buddy Mikhail at work. He's 
uh, quite the bourbon connoisseur. Well, you guys remember the uh, the shelves that the former pastor had uh, in the record? Oh, yes. Uh, they're even more impressive. As you well know, you've I've been seen there. Them. Yes, that's uh, right. Uh, uh, it's even more impressive now. I, I, he likes me so much that not only did the first time I was over there did I get some of the pappy, the second time I went, I got some of the pappy. So well, he must think the sun shines right out to all I would house. like to think so. Yes, I'm that nice a guy. But anyway. Uh, he takes care of friends. He takes care of friends. Okay. That's right. He is indeed one. So Back to Nuremberg. Back to Nuremberg. So... We got so into that, I've kind of forgotten now what two points I wanted to bring out from, from oh, what you were talking damn about. damn it, Francis. Jim. I hate it when that happens. I hate it when that went right out of my head. But uh, this 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 really served two things because it's the first time that words like genocide have been used in a legal context. Okay. So that's... You know, as we say, it's it's establishing off of other precedents, but it is a revolutionary thing. It is the first precedent for what would come forward, the idea that these things are truly illegal on an international scale and that there is a common set of international laws that need to govern the interactions of nations with nations. So... It's really beyond it, treaties. Yes, beyond, beyond treaties, treaties. Yeah, very. Important. That there, there is a, a standard here that needs to be held up to. Right, and you know, you talk about this being an international thing, international law. I think international law, and I don't know that there's a except through treaties, a, a place where you can go that there's a code uh, for these kinds of things. But I think it goes beyond the concept of international law. I talked about it before. It really is the recognition of there's right and there's wrong. Yeah. yeah. I really think that's, that, you know, there's just some things that we will not tolerate going on. Yeah. And I think that's momentous enough, and I, I don't mean to hijack your points, but as long as I'm on this, I will. But he's forgotten his points. Yeah, that's right, he's forgotten his points. Well, so well that was one of them. That's okay, that's one. They're coming back. Okay, okay. well, I'll give you a few moments to do yeah. that while we're thinking of... So, Beyond the recognition, you know, beyond the recognition of uh, international law, that you know, there's there's right and there's wrong. We will not tolerate what is profoundly wrong. I think Nuremberg and the Holocaust itself marks the end of tolerating the concept that there are subhumans. Very astute, yes, sir. You are correct. Good. Yeah, the concept of human rights. Has, is in in because of in practical means. I'm not talking about legal codification, although there you could make that argument. They have to go hand in hand. That's right. Yes. But in this case here, it's set down forever that the the concept of some individuals being more equal than others is 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 gone. Right. All human beings have a. Well, that we have to strive to make it part of the past. Well, that, well, that, that, well yes. that, yeah, that's correct. It, it's over. We we we've well, grown, we've the, grown the idea that, that it is a universally accepted thing, because, and granted, it's still not there. Oh, that's correct. But because there are laws that principle, on that all the time. Most civilized nations will agree to that. That. People are people. That's right. The dignity, they may be a lower class in our eyes, yes. but they're still people. The dignity and therefore protections for all human beings is a sacred concept that right. must be upheld. Yeah, we're still not, like I said, th- that, is the, that is the starting point and the application is the hard part, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's right. But I think that's what is most important. And we recognize and we will not tolerate this idea that you can treat people as animals. Subhuman, yeah. three fifths. You know, there, there's precedent over and over and over again. The the Nazis wouldn't let their dogs be treated the way they treated the Jews and the the gypsies and oh, yeah. everybody else. Well, they were they were beyond subhuman. They were vermin, which which they were to the level of the cockroach. That not only are they non-human, they by their nature must be exterminated. For the good of humanity. Yes. And there's the irony, but there's yes. the there's the perversion of that idea of you know there are some things that must be exterminated so humanity can thrive. Right, and you know there's a parallel in the war with Japan. You know we've talked about before that uh, in, in some cases very it's been a while since we brought it up, but in Japan, 
in, up to through World War II, if you surrendered, you surrendered your humanity. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was a literal concept that, you know... Dishonor you was beyond... Dishonor was not just, you know, I've lost face. You have truly given up your right to call yourself a man. Mm-hmm. And you might as well kill yourself. In fact, it's the only way to regain honor. And that was the only way to regain your humanity was to lose your life. Very, you know, it's a very messed up way to look at things according to... Perverted our, is a good word. I yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, we don't... We have a hard time... I mean, we can understand the... the if you... If you accept A, then you can see how B, C, and D follow. Right. But the A is totally incomprehensible and, to us. Right. And our A in the West, our A, our starting point for morality, is different. Yes. It is supposed to be the inherent dignity of the human person. It really is. It I really is. Robert's favorite phrase. Okay. You so, know, it, it, I would that more people... Would glom onto that. Phrase. Well, that's correct because yeah, then the dehumanization of others wouldn't even be a thing. That's kind uh, of. And we know for. that this is not complete because I mean we see people treating treat people badly all over the place, but our traditional en- enemies have pretty much accepted this point of view. Uh, you know, from the United States to uh, you know Japan, Germany, even in uh, the, the former Soviet Union. All of these things are relatively accepted. Still not practiced 100%, I grant you. But the the war, so to speak, to establish this precedent has now shifted to uh, Muslim extremists because that is where we see the same attitude that the Germans had against those they deemed subhuman. It's a different location and time, but it's an expression of the same ideal. Yeah, there are some people who are not people. Right. That, that, that are not only worthy, but the duty to be exterminated. Right. And, and mainly, it doesn't revolve around who they are so much as what they believe. So it's, it is a different expression of it, but yeah, it's, it's the same not concept. genetic or ethnic. It's, right. It's, it's totally whether or not you're a believer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's the, it, essentially, it comes down to the same thing. And so, you know, there's still a long way to go with that. And we certainly, I don't, say, I don't want to say we accept it because it comes from there, because we still don't. But, you know, really, since World War II, we haven't had the large scale yeah. uh, international atrocities since then. You know, I don't know, maybe Nuremberg scared the hell out of anybody from trying it, but, or maybe they just haven't had the power to. Part of that is, yeah, there's, there's, you know, this diffusion of breaking up large states. Um, that I think contributes, but again, there have you know, there are precedents. There are there continue to be the idea of we will hold people accountable for these atrocities. Again, the breakup of Yugoslavia is the you know the first instance that comes to mind where these concepts were then brought forward into a post World War II uh, era. So, so guys, that's all really really good stuff. I'm going to start wrapping up the episode here for us. But I'll just, uh, my two things, I just want to reiterate, because it, it is, Nuremberg does represent a revolution in international relations. And yes. it, is, it is the first time things like genocide and war against humanity and crimes against humanity are given legal force uh, in an indictment against individuals for carrying out the actions of a state. And there were consequences, yeah. And there were con- consequences because there were, you know, it. there were imprisonments and there were executions. Yes, they uh, they really did hold a good deal of the Nazi leadership that survived the war accountable for yeah. what happened. And again, with something Robert brought up that was crucial, that makes it a a an exemplar of how the legal process can work is it was not a closed door thing. Right. It was, you know, not only did the prosecutors just say, well, they, they wiped out all the Jews, they brought the evidence forward. They brought the documentation forward and out into the light and, and really made the world really do see, yes, this really did happen. Deny it all you want, but here's the proof. That's right. And, th- and it had repercussions for generations thereafter because the Israelis are able, based on this here, to go after those tried in absentia. And they did. Okay. Eichmann is the obvious one. I mean, and they executed him themselves because 
you know, the trial's been done. You know, everybody agreed he has he is guilty. Right. Prove his identity and do what you will, yeah. and that's ultimately what happened. Yeah, I mean, you even carry this forward into the attempts to to try John Demjanjuk and, yeah. and and these other figures, and this idea that they can go places across the world and try to find these guys and bring them to justice uh, for for actions taken in Europe. So, I think it was an excellent episode, fellas. I, it was guys, of course. We sort of pantsed it, but Robert was awesome as always, and oh. Francis did great. Our pantsing, well, pantsing is a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> Flying by the seat of our pants, maybe is a better way to put it, yes. uh, often produces, I think, some of the best we, discussions. We deliberately wanted to keep this at top level. We did not go into the details. We didn't want to go into the details. Yeah, we really didn't even mention all the people that ended up being tried. I mean, uh, uh, Goering and Ribbentrop, that's as close as you get. That you yeah. know, Those are the ones that... And Goering didn't even... I mean, he was convicted, but he ends up committing suicide right. before he actually was hung. Uh, and that that's its own uh, yeah, wild mean, the, the and messed was, up story. Was, yeah, Durnitz is part of it. and That's right. And Spear uh, and yeah. uh, all the rest of them. Yeah, Spear is uh, in prison. And... So, Francis, buddy, what is next time? We're going Code of Honor. We're going to do a twofer this time, though, because the next two episodes... We'll a, avoid, themed, a, a themed. A themed episode. That's Code right. Of Honor. The themed Code of Honor. We like doing these periodically. We're going to talk about Twain. The American, as he said. I am not an American. Mark I am Twain. Mark not Twain. the one that shall never meet. Right. Uh, the, very, very good. That's right. <laughs> Mark Twain, Samuel Langhorn Clemens. We're going to do two episodes on him. One, we're going to talk about what he said and find those great quotations because, my God, do a quick Google search, Mark Twain quotes, and you will be inundated with a cornucopia of marvelous things. He's one of the greatest... Uh, wits and wisdom that this planet has ever produced. We're going to talk with him about that next time, and we're going to talk about the man himself in the episode following that. So the next two episodes, join us. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.